It is a Tubishvat morning here at JM and the AM. Our Benji Kramer is with us live via telephone as we continue to try to bridge the gap between Israel and the diaspora, the same way for centuries that our great Torah leaders and leaders in the community have done when it comes to Tubishvat, feeling more and more connected during a time when it was almost impossible to physically get to the uh, Holy Land. They used the opportunity of Tubishvat through the Tubishvat Seder, through the dried fruits from Israel, uh, through the um, the fact that they made it into a holiday. They used that in order to bridge the gap between Israel and the diaspora. Rabbi Benji Kramer, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. It's a pleasure to be here, Nachum. Thank you so much for having me. You know, you uh, you influence a lot of students all through the year, of course, in your capacity. Uh, and we spoke about this uh, around Hanukkah time when people were wondering if they need to temper their Hanukkah celebrations this year because we have brothers and sisters being held hostage. We have IDF soldiers, brothers and sisters who are on the front lines in very dangerous situations. How do you view this year's Tu Bishvat in light of the regular Tu Bishvat celebrations that we've had in past years? So it's a fascinating question. I, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Tu Bishvat, but dealing with your question specifically, um, the idea that celebrating Tu Bishvat has, is, is, um, it depends on what you're talking about celebrating. If you're talking about the, the party, the, the Seder Tu Bishvat, that's quite late. It's only from, I would say, around the um, 1600s or so, even later. In other words, it's quoted that the Ari um, had a Seder Tu Bishvat of some kind, but it's really not clear. It's not till like the mid-1700s uh, that a few books were published, or Moshe Chagiz, and, um, and uh, another book called the Pre-Eitz Hadar, uh, were published, and they claim that the Ari had the celebration. So this celebration is maybe 200 years old, the kind of celebration. But even the celebration itself is um, is more about recognizing and connecting to Israel. It's not about, you know, let's have a good time. It's not about staying, she- you know, maybe Shechiano on the fruits that we're eating, but in terms of, um, it, it's not about... Um, the same kind of simcha that you have on a chag. It's not about the same kind of simcha that you have on uh, on, on other occasions. Like even Hanukkah is questionable whether you're really supposed to celebrate with food. The Ramah says that maybe you should have a Dvar Torah because it's not really about the physical celebration. I think that since it's mainly about connecting to Israel, maybe we should in some ways accentuate it more. Mm. Uh, in, in general, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, very good point, especially in light of this year, because we want to be as connected as possible, especially during these times. Uh, there are people in our community who normally might spend this time of year in Israel and are not doing so this year for whatever reason. Not a criticism, just a fact. And uh, we need to keep that connection going, and that includes... And by the way, we should note that that Tu Bishvat, when school is in session is very different for Jewish families than Tu Bishvat when school is not in session. And this is one of those years where many, many schools in the Yeshiva League are not in session today. Uh, you have to admit, it's much different when school is in session, right? The kids get to attach to it much more, and families don't necessarily, you know, think about it. If they're right. in a place where they're going to school and they're not saying Tachman, they might be reminded, that, especially on a Thursday, not saying Tachman, <laughs> they might be reminded they might be reminded, oh, it's Tubishvat. But most people don't really think about Tubishvat. It's really more, you're right, of a school. Um, schools really bring it on for the kids and, and connect it. I mean, you and I both grew up with uh, JMF and trees and planting and those big cars that we got. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding Collecting me? Money. That, was the, that was the key to the holiday, was making sure that the kids in Israel were heading out to plant trees and making sure that people around the world were sponsoring trees to be planted in Israel. And as you heard, this year, there's a reason, especially in certain areas of Israel, to plant away, and they've made a commitment to do just that, right? Benji Kramer is with us live via telephone. So did you did you include a prayer? Because you indicated to me that you, 
you're joining me this morning after uh, you were in shul. Uh, did you include a prayer this morning for a good esrog, a beautiful-looking etrog uh, for this upcoming holiday of Sukkot, which is many, many months away, but apparently there's a connection between that and Tubishvat. I have not heard about that connection between etrog and Tubishvat. What have you heard about that? There's actually a prayer. <laughs> I, I wish I had the text in front of me. <laughs> There's actually a prayer that is said on Tu Bishvat, um, praying to the one above because of the essence of this holiday, being so connected to the land, the ground, uh, plants, fruits, etc., uh, there's a, an actual prayer that is said that uh, on the next Sukkot, I should be blessed to be able to use a beautiful pre Hadar, a beautiful um, uh, estrog during the holiday of Sukkot. So that that is what, obvi- obviously, you're not familiar with that, and I don't know the text by I'm heart. I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, but i gotta, I, I got to find uh, it. I wonder what the etrogim are up to now at this time of year before, you know. That's a I good, guess they're really harvested more. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That is a good point. The estrog that we have, and by the way, I'm sure there's an expert on this in our audience, so feel free to comment on the app, everybody. Uh, the estrog that we will purchase in September, October, right? This year, uh, Yontif's very late. The estrog, that, what is it up to right now? Are those estrogim already cut off the trees? Are those estrogim going to grow for another couple of months? What are we up to, folks? Those of you who are Estro, and there are many people in this audience who are affiliated with the Estro industry. Uh, if you are, in fact, one of those, please let us know what we're up to. Rabbi Kramer, did you have an opportunity to eat any dried fruit from Israel yet today? Did you have a chance to taste the Buxer, whichever synagogue you were in? Uh, was the synagogue you were in responsible enough when it came to Tu Bishvat to make sure to provide something uh, to make a special bracha and to go ahead and to feel connected in that way to the Holy Land? So, I did not partake. I did not. I I, uh, I don't know if they had a Seder to Bishvat at last night. I had to leave to, to babysit for my grandchildren. But um, so I didn't stick around after Marav. But, uh, and this morning, I also ran out to, to join you. So I'm not sure, but they, they did not have anything out. That's for sure. All right. And, and I know, I know about the Buxer and you and Mayor and the Buxer debate. Oh, I mean, are, are you kidding? It's already been a topic of conversation this morning, courtesy of Avrami, uh, who couldn't remember, remember which side of the issue I was on. My gosh, I, I think one would think over the years that anybody who's tuned into this show knows that I am the pro-Buxer guy out there, uh, especially on a Tubishvat morning. All right, Rabbi Kramer, what can you tell us about the holiday of Tubishvat? I know we're going to be discussing a Meir Milim segment, which we'll save uh, for a little bit later. Uh, anything else you'd like to share with us about this holiday today? So there are five aspects, as I see it, of Tu B'Shvat. And some of them I heard you mention already, um, but there are five aspects, and you can interrupt me at any time sure. in between any of them. But the one is the true origin and meaning of, of this, this date. Where does it come from? The second is, is it a happy day? Is there something to celebrate? And where does that come from? Not saying Tachanon, not making a hespade at, at, at a, a eulogy, at a funeral, not fasting on this day, which is all prohibited in the Shulchan Aruch. Where does that come from? And already you know if it's in the Shulchan Aruch, it's hundreds of years old. Um, where did eating fruit from Eretz Yisrael, when did that start? And the origins of the Seder we already discussed. Uh, it seems to be somewhat Kabbalistic. It's attributed to the Ari, but it's very. It only comes out about 160 years after the Ari died already. So it's a little bit. There are no real sources that the Ari partook in it, although they say that he did. Uh, and when did the planting actually start uh, in Israel? <clears throat> so let's start with the the actual what they, what's called the birthday. It's not really the birthday of the trees. That's not so accurate. But as you said before I got on, it's, it's halachic ruling, sort of like taxes, you know, January 1st. If you, if you, if you had a child before January 1st, you could take it off your taxes for, for this past year. And if you didn't, then it's really going for next year. And that has to do with a number of rulings in, in halacha, one having to do with the tithe itself, ma'aser. You're not allowed to take ma'aser, the 10th. In Israel, when you buy fruits, you know, we always think of fruits and vegetables. If I see uncut fruits and vegetables, I can buy it anywhere. And in Israel, that's not so true. You have to really take 
trumot and ma'asrot, and you have to know what you're doing. You have to make sure it's not from an orla tree. Ayin reish lamed hey orla. I think we talked about Arel yeah. in uh, Meir Milingwa. Correct, we did. Um, our law is uh, is the first three years of a tree. You're not it's asur by achila. You're not allowed to eat it. You're not even allowed to sell it. It's asur by hanaah, and uh, therefore um, the arla um, season, so to speak, the end of that third year is that before Tu Bishvat. So many opinions say that it ends only at Tu Bishvat that third year, um, and the tithing also, as we said, is is before and after is is what determines before and after. Uh, to be um, there's a, I mean, our is really, uh, I'm sorry, t- like I said, Shumot and Asura Mitzvot that have to do with Israel. You can only do that in Israel. You only need to do it in Israel. Although, if you buy an uh, orange that was grown in Jaffa, let's say, you have to take Shumot and if you don't know that it was already taken before. Even in America, we have to do that. And we have to sort of train people how to do it. I actually did that a few weeks ago, trained someone how to take Trumot and Wow. Um, not so easy. Yeah. Um, uh, so why, why is Tu Bishvat chosen for this demarcation between years? Uh, so there are a number of opinions out there. I think the simple way is that we're still in the middle of the winter. I mean, you know, here in Puerto Rico, it's, it's pretty nice weather. In Israel, it's decent weather, but it's still the rainy season. It's, it's toward, well, one of the opinions, Rabbi Lazar in the Talmud says that it's the end of the rainy season, not end, end, but, but most of the rain has already fallen. I don't know the records. You know the records of the rain? This year in Israel, is it doing well? Is it that's a good. A that's a good question. Although I know there have been a couple of weeks that have been rain filled, but I don't know if it's one of those seasons that's really potent when it comes to rain. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't get to look that up. Uh, another thing is that since it's like the middle of the winter, it's a good demarcation for fruits that grew before and grew after because it's not well. When was this from? It's really pretty clear because there's not a lot going on around two two bishvat. Arashi says in. <clears throat> in Rosh Hashanah, Daf Yudalad, that the sap, the uh, seraph, as it's called, the sap in the tree starts going up the tree, which helps the growth around Tu Bishvat. And we find that there is budding of the fruit. It's called Chanita. It's actually a machlok at what Chanita is, but let's assume it's the budding of the, of the beginning of before the fruits actually grow happens around Tu Bishvat. Um, and of course, we know that the modern song. I think you played it already. Oh yeah! Oh, are you kidding? Multiple, <clears throat> multiple times already. Okay, in different different tunes. No, same one. Hey, it's the anthem of Tu Bishvat. We got to toss it on once in a while. Correct, correct. So that idea, Shkediya Parachat, the Shkedim, the almonds, blossom earlier than other than other fruits. And therefore, it's assumed that Tu Bishvat might be the beginning of the blossoming of the Shkedim, of the almonds. Shkediya Parachat, the word Parachat really doesn't mean growing, it means flowering. Parach is a flower. So budding <clears throat> is around the same time as the flowering, and therefore it kind of makes sense. You know, we know also... And and Mayor talked about this many times. Mayor Weingarten, Allah Hashalom, Zichon talked many times about the beginning of Sefer Yirmiyahu, Perak Aleph, around Pasuk Yud Aleph Yudet, where the first Nevuah that that Yirmiyahu had was about a Shkediyah, about a a tree blossoming, an almond tree, sorry, blossoming. And that was a hint to him that things are blooming. Not good things, though. The enemy from the north, meaning Bavel, is coming fast. And apparently the Shkedim grow very fast. They come early and they grow fast. And therefore, it's also around Tubishat, maybe. I don't really know if that's a fact is out there. <clears throat> I tried to look it up. I didn't see anything actually connecting it to Tubishat. But that's what the song assumes. Right. Um, yeah. Very it's, cool. You can interrupt at any time. I'm, I'm going to move oh, on to the time. You're on a roll. Like if you're you on want, a, whatever you want. You're on a roll. Go ahead. <clears throat> so the second aspect of Tu Bishvat comes very early. Rav Nisim Gaon, early, uh, the, early in the second millennium, around 1040 or so, um, he was a late guy. He's called Rav Nisim Gaon, but he's kind of the beginning of the Rishonim period. Rashi was also around 1040, 1045. You know, Rav Crone uh, um, often says that he goes into classes all the time to tell stories. He went to a third grade class, and, uh, 
and he says, does anyone know when Rashi lived? And one little kid says, 10.45 to 11.15. And he says, well, how did you know that? He says, that's when we have recess. And my Rebbe always says, we're having recess from 10.45 to 11.15. That's when Rashi lived. And it's amazing how much he accomplished in those 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, <clears throat> so if Rashi's around 10.45, not so clear when, and Ravnissian goes around 10.40 or so, so he's kind of a Rishon, as we say. But he quotes Rav Haigon. And Rav Haigon, very famous Gaon, one of the most uh, prolific. He really, we have a lot of, of uh, writing from Rav Haigon. Um, and he writes in the Tshuva um, that, I'm sorry, that no eulogies and no Tachanun right. on Tisha B'Av. And that's where on, it's on that's very early. On Tu B'Shvat. On Tu B'Shvat. What did I say? Tisha B'Av. On Tu B'Shvat. Oops, I'm sorry. <clears throat> that was a slip. On Tu B'Shvat, uh, none, none of that. And that's obviously, and they also found, by the way, in 1088, not around that time, <clears throat> a calendar from 1088, I'm sorry, in the Cairo Geniza that has a quote from um, uh, this calendar that says also that they didn't say Tachman and they didn't do eulogies. Back then, in the early, early in this past, right, the past millennium, 1088, they didn't say Tachman. So quoted by Rami Rittenberg, and it's quoted in the Shulchan Aruch, and, and um, in two places, in Tav Kofay and Beth, Siv Gimel, and in Kuf Lamed Aleph, or by Tachnon, in Siv as well. And that's just about, about not fasting, and about not saying Tachnon, and then with that comes not doing eulogies as well. Wow. That's the early, very, very early. So it seems to be that since, it doesn't really explain what's happy about this time, but since it's a Rosh Hashanah, we should... Uh, we should kind of, uh, you know, sh- show our, our happiness and not say Tachanun. On a Monday and Thursday, many people are very happy about that. <laughs> are very Although mock- a are lot very- of people are upset. Yeah. No, I was going yeah. to say they're very mockbit yeah. on it when it comes to Monday and Thursday. <laughs> but it's funny because right. for years here on this show, we, we would make the point about how it became a, um, a an evolved holiday by saying, you know, almost inaccurately it sounds now, uh, that Rashi would say Tachanun on Tu B'Shvat, you know, meaning that we were referring to that era, you know, almost a thousand years ago, where um, where <clears throat> where the Rishonim likely did say Tachanun, and of course, you know, you get to a few hundred years later, and nobody's saying Tachanun on Tu B'Shvat. Based on what you're saying, it may have started much earlier than we think. It did start much earlier. I don't know if Rashi was connected to that. Right. Um, you know, the Maharami Rutenberg quotes it. Marami Rittenberg is, is later. He's the Rebbe of the Rush and the Mordechai. He learned with the Orzarua, but they, <clears throat> that's more, you know, in the 1200s. But the, the Ramnissengon, I, I don't know if he, I don't know if Rashi, I'm sure he never met him, because right. I believe Ramnissengon was a Saradi and Rashi was Ashkenazi. Um, I don't know. I'm not really sure. But right. Rashi does quote Rav Haigon sometimes. Very interesting. Now, I'm just I'm I'm focused on the fact that you know we, we always think that this is five, six, seven hundred years old. It, it, based on what you're saying, it's likely older than that. But what do you think of the whole concept of you know a a holiday evolving? Uh, often, when it comes to holidays that have been incorporated over the last fifty, seventy five, one hundred years. Uh, it, it sometimes comes under fire, comes under criticism that they've been added to the Jewish calendar and that, you know, different customs abound from, uh, you know, from the fact that there's now a new holiday, so to speak. But it, but it looks like Tu B'Shvat was sort of like that, that it evolved into a holiday, evolved into a holiday that changed the way we daven, right? We, it eliminated Tachlern at the minimum, maybe other things as well were either added or eliminated, but certainly the Tachlern aspect. Um, so we do have a precedent in Jewish history where holidays evolve and where dates that are relatively insignificant become very significant. So I think there's some truth to that. Of course, we're, we're a little bit careful with talking about evolution of halacha, although obviously halacha does evolve in some ways. <clears throat> but, it, you know, when we're talking about these periods of the beginning of the Rishonim, we have very little written from the Gaonim. So between the Rishonim and the Gaonim, I'm sorry, between the Rishonim and the Gemara, there's a lot of gray area in terms of what happened then, because we don't have a lot of literature. The Sabaraim, some of them edited the Gemara, that's before the Gaonim, and then Gaonim, there's very, very little literature, and so really the 20th century, when Rav Levin 
put out his Otsar Gaonim, where we got all his, somehow, I, I don't know where he found these manuscripts. But until then, we had very, very little of Haigon and Rav Shri Ragon a little bit. But, you know, we have some letters and, and there's stuff quoted around from other Rishonim. But we don't know when this really started. We just know when it's recorded. Right. <clears throat> and this thing goes, records it. <clears throat> it doesn't mean it didn't start earlier than that. Interesting. I'm not really sure that that's true. Um, in terms of the eating fruits and stuff, that's definitely a much later thing, having nothing to do with Zionism. And the other thing that I have to tell you, Nachum, I'm not so convinced that this, this idea that we are so afraid of, of enhancing <clears throat> minhagim, minhagim show up all, all over the place all, through hundreds of years, different communities. You have yeki minhagim, obviously they're not from, from the Rishonim, you know, you have, um, you have, you know, all kinds of, of minhagim that are more recent. And minhagim are sort of community's way of, of, of you know, whether it really came from the rabbis in those right. communities, probably. But and establishing holidays and minhagim and changing nusach are really different things. So it's not really a holiday. That's what one of the things I'm trying to say. Right. It's not. Re- it does. We don't say Tachanun. Right. It's interesting why we don't say Tachanun too. Because Rosh Chodesh Elul is also in the Mishnah of, of right. Rosh Hashanah. Why right. we don't say? You know, I mean, it is Rosh Chodesh. So right. the truth is that I guess mentioned that most of them are Rosh Chodesh. And therefore, we don't say. Well, Rosh Chodesh, Nisan, Nisan, Elul, and well, and 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 they're and all Tishrei. right. So they're all, but they're all Rosh Chodesh. They're all, and according to Beis Shammai, so is right. according to Beis so is this. Yeah, it's funny, it's interesting. interesting. Maybe that's, that well, is interesting. I wonder what so the... What, one that wouldn't be Tachanun. Right. I wonder what was going through Beit Hillel's mind when they uh, when they were saying uh, 15 of Shvat instead of the first of Shvat. And by the way, based on what you said earlier, that in the dead of winter it's easier to make a demarcation on the calendar for these things, it would make more sense to be Rosh Chodesh Shvat as opposed to uh, the 15th of Shvat. So. But, yeah. if, but if so it was... interesting, the, the way... Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. The the way Beit Shammai is quoted in this Mishnah, I think it's different from most places. It doesn't say Beit Shammai Omrim and Beit Hillel Omrim. It says Bechad Bishvat. All of them are Echad. Echad Nisan, Echad Belo, Echad Bishvat. Bechad Bishvat, Rosh Hashanah Ilan, Kid Divrei Beit Hillel. I didn't see, I mean, I didn't see anyone really talk about this, but it's, it's a little strange the way it's quoted. Like Beit Hillel said, instead of but then it says, I'm sorry, then it says, but kid I, I, I'm not a real bakid, I don't know what this in Mishnayot, but I don't think it comes up a lot that it says kid divrei beit In the Gemara, it's probably quoted sometimes kid divrei beit because they're quoting, this is like beit But in the Mishnah itself, I wonder how many other times, whether, I, I'm not saying it gives it more legitimacy, but I just don't know why it's quoted differently there. More coming up with Rabbi Benji Kramer as we celebrate Tu Bishvat at JM in the AM. I am but a little tree that only seeks to live in peace to spread my seeds upon the earth and for my roots within the soil of the land my father gave to me and his father gave to him made by the father of us all but the woodsman with an axe Poised in his hand Said it's my sacred duty To clear away this land And on this place that I call home I will plant a field of stone I am but a little tree That only seeks to live in peace To spread my seeds upon the earth for my roots within the soil of the land my father gave to me and his father gave to him made by the father 
That I cannot be distracted by the blood stains on my coat. I can feel the woodsman's pain. Perhaps the tree should not remain. I am but a little tree that only seeks to live in peace, to spread my seeds upon the earth and find my roots within the soil. From Journeys, volume number four, A.B. Rottenberg and Company with Little Tree on this Tubishvat morning at America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio. Rather, we're on the web at com on the Nachumsegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Happy Tubishvat, everybody. Rabbi Benji Kramer is with us live via telephone and uh, inspiring us with words about this amazing holiday. Yes, a day that has become an amazing holiday centuries later connecting us to the Holy Land. Uh, Rabbi Kramer, I want to get to Meir Milim, which we will get to in the next few minutes. Let me give you an opportunity to wrap up uh, the Tu B'Shvat uh, portion of your presentation. What else can you tell us about this special day of ours, the 15th day of Shvat? So there are Mikorot sources from the 1500s already. Um, a book by Rav Benjamin Alevi Ashkenazi. He's from Salonika, northern Greece. And he wrote a book uh, on Minhagim. And he writes there that they started eating fruits from Israel on this date, on Tu Bishvat. I was uh, commemorating, so to speak, their connection to Israel on Tu Bishvat. And about 20 years later, a more famous book, the Tikkun Yisachar, Tikkun, I don't think it's called Tikkun Yisachar. I think that's more Hasidic to say Yisachar. But uh, Tikkun Yisachar by a Moroccan rabbi um, who settled in Svat. And he also, he, um, this is around, we're talking about the 1500s or so, around, a little before maybe the Ari, and he also writes that, that there's an Ashkenazi, even though he's a Moroccan rabbi, he writes that there's an Ashkenazi, Minhag, custom to eat fruits from Israel on, on Tu Bishvat. And then again, Abraham quotes it in Shulchan Aruch, and uh, that's really the earliest, I think it's a very long time ago, until 500 years ago, um, that they already started eating fruits from Israel 
on Tu Bishvat. And I, it, I'm assuming it's it's more Kabbalistic. But I but again, it just I think I think that uh, uh, connection to Israel obviously was always uh, you know among us. It's not something new with Zionism. Obviously, right. uh, connection to Israel is just uh, it was it was another way to connect to Israel. Yeah, and uh, now, go ahead. The final stage is this idea of planting in Israel, planting trees in Israel. And that happened um, over 60 years before the state of Israel was formed. There's a little Moshava, a small town called Yesod Ma'ala in, in the Galil, who planted 1,500 fruits in 1884. 1884 is a very long time ago. That's 100, that, 100, years ago? 140 years ago. <laughs> It's 140 years, 140 40. years, 140 years ago. Yeah. Wow. So I'm saying it's around, uh, 70 years before the state, 60, 70 years, something like that right. before the state of Israel really started. And, uh, and they had, by the way, they had etrog trees that they planted. There you go. And <laughs> pomegranates and, uh, and olive trees later, fig trees, berries. Uh, that's what they planted. And about 10 years later, well, less than that, 1890, a famous writer, Zev Yavitz, went out with his students in Zichon Yaakov. We know Zichon Yaakov from the, the wine fame on Tu Bishvat. And he, he, he wrote this up in the newspapers, and he made it very public that he went to plant trees in Israel on Tu Bishvat. In 1907, more teachers did that from 300 students, went out from a, a school called Mikveh Yisrael. So it, it slowly, over the decades, grew and grew. And then in 1919 or so, is when, towards, I guess right after World War One, is when Karen Camp and Israel Kakao, as they say, uh, took over and sent like 3,000 students to go plant trees. Pretty and amazing. And obviously, uh, you know, yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah, and, yeah. Of course and, we, the, and of course. And we know, yeah. and we know, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. That the growth of trees is a sign of the Geula. Famous Gemara, man are quoted it all the time, Gemara and Sanhedrin, about Sadi and there is no clearer sign of the end of days of the Motu Mashiach than, than having trees growing and flourishing in, in Israel. Atem, quoting Yechazkel, Atem, Harei Yisrael, Anfechem, Titnu, Uprechem, Tisula, Ami Yisrael, Kikarvu, Lavo. And that, from that Pasuk, and Rashi says, it's going to give fruit. And that's a sign of the Geula. And we also know Mark Twain, the famous uh, letter that was published later in a book, The Innocents Abroad, uh, who was in Israel in the mid-1800s and saw nothing. It was all desolate, desolate, desolate. And then slowly but surely, as the, as the Jews got closer and closer to Eretz Israel, the planting of trees became more and more uh, 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 more and more the, the the act of the day or the the uh, the true um, connection to Israel. Uh, you know, I, I I on a tour once they told us that the green line, you know, the green line, which demarcates between um, pre sixty seven and post sixty seven, the green line is because of Karen Kamet Israel because they planted so many trees. There was uh, Israel was green and the West Bank was not green, and that's kind of how the I don't know if that's the only reason. Yeah, that's it's funny because I think I, I think we've discussed over the years how the green line was literally called that because of the green magic marker that was used on the map when they were drawing the border. <laughs> so who knows what the truth is? But I like your explanation very, very much. So the Bnei Saskar says to pray for a beautiful esrog on Tu Bishvat, and the prayer ah. is, and the prayer is Yehiratzon l'fanecha Hashem alakenu v'lakavotenu. Etc. So there is a prayer, may be thy will, 
that you bless, meaning God, bless all the estrog trees to bear their fruit at the proper time. They shall bear etrogim that are good, nice, beautiful, and clean from all blemish, that no scars should form upon them. They should be complete, and they should not have any deficiencies, even pricked by a thorn. And these etrogim should be available for us and for all of Israel in every place that they are in order to fulfill the mitzvah of taking the etrog and the lulav on the holiday of Sukkot. That shall come to us with good life and with peace, as you have written in your Torah. And again, it quotes the Pasuk in Vayikra Chaf Gimel. May it be your will, Lord our God and the God of our forefathers, to help us and assist us in this mitzvah of taking the lulav, myrtle, willow, and etrog in the proper manner and its proper time on the festival of Sukkot. That shall come upon us for good life and peace, with happiness and good heartedness. And that you shall make a nice, beautiful etrog that is clean of all blemishes and deficiencies, complete and kosher according to its according to its laws, accessible. <laughs> to us so well what, I mean. can, what can i tell you uh that that someone <laughs> thought of connecting the rosh hashanah Ilanot to a beautiful etrog in next year's holiday of sukkot honestly right. honestly only in our tradition <laughs> i don't think anybody else could have made right. that connection but in our tradition yes so another, right but another thing about tubishvat since it's not like everyone would have expected the time of blooming is the springtime as a couple of months later, but Tubishvat represents the hope of the future, even when it's still dim. And especially at a time like today, what we're going through today, the dimness of our existence right now is, is very clear if you could, if you will. And uh, we believe in looking to the positive. We look, believe in looking forward and looking to the ultimately, obviously, but even the short term, you know, this coming Sukkot, etc. It's a, it's what it's part of what the holiday is about. That's why if the I may one. I was going to say that's why the ahead. planting of the trees this year has so much more meaning. That's why births of yeah. uh, births of children and grandchildren, which always have tremendous meaning in our tradition, obviously, mean so much more now because. Uh, Absolutely. Because we've seen such tragedies and we look toward the future and the hope that it brings. And uh, in our tradition, as I said, not every tradition is like this, as we know, cause, but we value life to a degree that nobody yeah. else does. In our tradition, life of all forms, whether it be human beings or even the trees, the trees that surround us, and that are such an important part of our lives and that are so symbolic for us. Eitz Chaim He, Lama Elon, Elon, etc., etc. All these right. me- messages right. and metaphors are so important to our tradition. Go ahead, you were saying. So I found a Buxer Makor. <laughs> um, okay, and it's somewhat in your favor, I would say. A source Rav, for Buxer. Harav Aviner. Harav, oh yes, I'm sorry. Harav Aviner, who was the, who's been the rabbi of Ben Akiva for for decades, decades. Even when I was in Ben Akiva, his name was famous. Um, he wrote a teshuvah. He wrote a responsa to um, to people in Chutzlaret in, in the diaspora who wanted to eat fruit from Antubishvat. I keep doing that. Antubishvat, <clears throat> and uh, they asked him, "Is it better to eat the shivat taminim, the seven species?" Quoting the pasuk in in Parshat Akev uh, about uh, the, the special fruits that sort of pronounce the greatness of, of Israel. The chikas uh, orah, the wheat and the barley, the gefen, the grapes, teina is our our figs, rimon we know our pomegranates, zayit is is olives, zayit shemen sorry, and gvash is really the honey that comes from dates. The seven species is it better to eat those seven species? that don't come from Israel, maybe come from Turkey, they said in the Chuba. or should I eat Buxer, which is carob, uh, dried carob that comes from Israel. And his opinion was, what do you think? Huh. I assume the dried carob from Israel. That's right. He said, we have to connect to Israel on Tubishvat. That's the, that's the message of the day, and therefore you should have the dried carob, even though it's not from the seven species. And that is one of the reasons that for centuries, the only thing available to people was dried carob from Israel. And they went ahead and uh, and they had it. It was interesting because uh, I I saw somewhere 
where somebody was putting together a celebration in Israel with dried fruit. And I said, wait a second, the dried fruit is for the people in diaspora <laughs> because they couldn't get fresh fruit from Israel. If you're in Israel, you, sh- you should be eating fresh fruit. But I'll tell you, but this, but this shows you the power of minhag in our community. That even That's, that even in exactly. Israel, that even in Israel, where people you know are are now capable of having Israeli fruit that is fresh, uh, they'll go ahead and eat dried fruit because that was the custom when they were in Chutzlara. It's just to eat dried fruit that came from Israel. But it's just so funny the way these things evolve. Right, Benji Kramer with his uh, final segment, which we call Meir Milim, for a Tubishvat morning coming up at JM in the AM. And by the way, somebody on the app, uh, it was on the app, I think, asked for the uh, prayer. If you search prayer for the Esrog, B'nai Sashar, prayer for the Esrog, you will um, you will find exactly what uh, I read earlier on the air. And hopefully we'll all have a good Esrog. We should all live and be well till we get to the time when we purchase the Lula of an Esrog for the upcoming holiday of Sukkists. Uh, Still a little ways off, to say the least. All right, Benji Kramer with us live via telephone. Listener Zena says, thank you, Rabbi Kramer. Your shear on Tu Bishvat was amazing. Rabbi Kramer, I didn't know that that qualified as a shear, but congratulations to you. <laughs> thank you. Ah, thank she- you. Shear usually needs to have a certain setting, a certain time limit, yeah. a certain type of presentation. <laughs> Apparently, this fits into the rubric according to listener Zena. All right. Um, did we decide what may ear me limb segment we're going to be doing this morning or by Kramer? I'm going to use a repeat. I apologize, but I don't have my books with me where I am now. So I, I, I'm going to reuse the one about Melchama, which is fascinating. Uh, we're in the midst of a war. Mohammed, uh, um, Harvard Barzell, as we know, and uh, the word Melchama uh, interestingly enough, I mean, it's mentioned many times in Tanakh, obviously, but its root word, what do you think its root word is? Is it Lamed Chet Mem? Is that the root? It, it, it actually seems to be Lamed Chet Mem. And the Lechem, bread, and war seem to be connected. And wow. in a number of ways, they're connected. Uh, obviously, we know that many wars uh, occur, not this one, obviously, but many wars occur due to economic reasons. People right. actually go to war over economic reasons. So it kind of makes sense a little bit that it's uh, connected to bread or to to um, the economy. Yeah. We know that uh, Yaakov Avinu, when he talks about food in general, he's, he's asking Hashem as he's about to go to Lavan's house in Berishit Kafchek, Pasukaf, uh, he makes a, he makes an oath and he says, bring me bread to eat and clothing to wear. Now, beged is, uh, you know, is a generic term for, for clothing. And it seems too that the word lechem is a generic term for food, not just bread. And we right. see this also in Shmuel Aleph, Shmuel Aleph, Perik Yudalad, Pasuk Kafdalad, uh, 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 Shaul puts out a decree that no one is allowed to eat during this battle. Arur lechem ad Don't eat, but it says don't eat bread. And Yonatan, the son of Shaul, violated that decree, that curse. And he didn't eat bread, though. He ate Yaroth Dvash. He had some honey and that to give him strength, I guess, while he's about to go to, to battle. And it seems that even though what he ate was honey, he violated the rule of not eating lechem. Because lechem doesn't just mean bread, it means food in general. But we also see that the miraglim in the Midbar Yud Gimel, Pasuk Bet, the miraglim themselves use this term, and so does Yehoshua and Kalev when they apply to him. They say, that land that we passed through, Laturotat, to sort of scout it out. Eret ochelet yoshvei. It devours its its inhabitants. So when you're talking about attacking someone, it uses the word ochelet. And when Yoshua and Kalev respond to that, they say, Ach Hashem altimodu, don't rebel against God. Again, Bamidbar Yudalat Pasukat. Batem altiru, don't be afraid. At am, I'm sorry, altiru at am haaret ki lachmenu hem. Don't be afraid. Tiru is. Uh, don't be afraid of the people of that land. Ki They're our bread. We will devour them. We will conquer them. 
So the word lachmenu is sort of a double entendre. We will, we will consume them, basically. Similarly, in Dvarim, Perek Zayin, Pesuk Zayin, Hashem tells us that when we go into Eretz Yisrael, this is of course post-Miraglim, post-Scouts and the spies, v'achalta, et kol you're going to devour all those nations. So the word lechol, the word lechem, is also used uh, when it talks about conquering. Um, I saw that Yigal Yadin, a famous uh, archaeologist, politician, writer, he wrote a famous book on Masada and the Dead Sea Scrolls, and he thinks that the sickle that he found in the archaeology that he was doing is shaped like a mouth because war and eating are actually connected. Wow, that's um, interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So, and um, we also see, we say every day in uh, in the Halalukas, the, the second to last Halalukah, Romo's El Bigronam, the they they raise up and pray, and as the Radak says, they're praying for the end of the Galut. They're praying for the the redemption. They're praying for the victory in in war. The Cherev Tifiod Biadam, and they have a sword, Tifiod, a sword of mouths. So really, what we normally assume Cherev Tifiod is plural <clears throat> because it's a double-edged sword, so it has two two blades on it. But still, you can't ignore the fact that when you talk about sword and we talk about mouth, that those are actually connected. But wow. even more so, I saw in a book online, I saw this, Yoshua uh, Steinberg, about 100 years ago, wrote a book called Mishpat Ha'urim, which is a dictionary related to Tanakh words. <clears throat> and he has five examples, including this one, where food and eating are connected to war. We have Lechem and Milchama, we saw. Lazun is to to give sustenance to. But we also have in the Gemara the concept of listim mizuyan. Armed robbers, mizuyan, uh, is is also a word for having weapons. Uh, the word sayid we have here, yigam seida lo asulahem. Is that in this week's parasha? Last week's parasha. That seida means food. But latsud also means to hunt. So obviously, but that's connected because you do hunting so that you have food. But um, and even the word teref, pet, resh, fei, which means to to uh, kill or to slaughter. All right, tarof, taraf, Yosef. Yaakov says when he first sees, thinks that Yosef was killed, and he was that he was devoured by an animal. We have teref, teref, levet of That teref is what we say in Mishlei in Eshev Kayo, that she brings food right. for her for her church and to eat. So that's also a connection. And finally, nun <clears throat> sabihe, which is um, like the word matzah could be connected to uh, to nun sabihe, maybe. Um, and hanitza means to fight. Two people fighting, nitzim is also. So we have five examples of fighting and eating are actually connected. Very, very fascinating. How interesting is it that in this war, that's happening now. We are paying so much attention. Worldwide jury is paying so much attention to what our soldiers are in fact eating, and there's so many. <laughs> and there are so many. Eff- there are so many efforts to make sure that the army and and there have been armies in history that have starved. There are armies in history mm-hmm. where lack of food has become a you know became a major issue in their attempt to battle against the enemy. Uh, but in this case, we are making every effort possible to make sure to feed the soldiers as much as possible, as high-quality food as possible, and as often as possible. So there is a direct connection between uh, the ability to fight and defend the land uh, and uh, having a good, hearty, nutritious meal. Mm-hmm. And on that topic, if I may, one more little thing. <clears throat> we talked about the possibility of talking about this. I spoke to a friend of mine in Israel. I know him from Camp Nesher, Ehud Alpert, who works for the Ministry of Agriculture in Israel. And uh, he explained to me that, that obviously they took a big hit in what's called the Otef Aza, the envelope of, of uh, c- communities around Gaza. And uh, certainly on the day, on that those horrible, horrible days, at the beginning of October, there was no electricity. As with no electricity, you can't water your your plants. So the tomato, the cherry tomatoes took a, a tremendous 
pit around uh, the Otsef Aza, wow. and they all died. They all died. They had just a few days, they didn't have electricity, and they all died. Uh, they're planting now uh, potatoes in that area successfully. <clears throat> um, and uh, he told me that Yad Mordechai is, guess where Yad Mordechai is just, just north of Gaza, very, very close. You can see Gaza from there very clearly. And, and Yad Mordechai has a bee farm and they're having a lot of trouble. They're basically desolate. They don't really have people to, to help take care of their bees. Um, and uh, they themselves, by the way, uh, it's, it's a religious uh, yeshuv, Yad Mordechai. And they were saved really miraculously by just a few soldiers and, uh, and their own uh, security team on that horrible day, that Shabbat Hashkorah, as they say, the black Shabbat of October 7th. Um, now, he said the biggest problem now is up north, where they really are not able to, two things. Number one, their orchards are uh, real. They don't have enough people to, um, to gather or to, to tend to, really, and mostly to prune. Gizum is the word for prune. To prune their peaches. Afarsik is peaches in Hebrew. <clears throat> they don't have enough to uh, help with other fruits that are, um, that are, that they're really having a lot of trouble with those. Uh, he gave me a bunch of fruits and I, I don't see them right now in my notes. Oh, he said that the part of the reason that they're having trouble is because 10, uh, 10, about 10,000 of the 30,000 Thailandis in Israel who were helping them um, are gone. They left. Yep. Uh, they left Israel and they, they were a big, uh, they were a big part of it, so they uh, they took a real hit. About thirty to forty percent of those fruits, uh, peaches and and um, apricots, mishmish, and nectarines are having a lot of trouble. They need thousands, tens of thousands of people <clears throat> to do the pruning work that they need. I don't know if that's a hard thing to do to learn how to prune. But they really, I don't even think he said even with the volunteers, there's no way they're going they're going to take like a thirty to forty percent hit over there. And even the cows grazing, because the tanks are all over the place in the Golan, a lot of people lost their cows because their fences were not down and, and they lost a lot of their grazing. They kept producing eggs is a problem. There's not a lot of electricity sometimes. It's, uh, it's a big problem up there. Challenging situation in Israel, and as uh, Rabbi Kramer describes, every day we learn more and more about the challenges and the domino effect that all of this is happening on so many with so many industries, especially when it comes to produce agriculture, farming, etc. Um, we have to do what we can to help our brothers and sisters during this time, whether it means physically heading over and volunteering, which people are doing, or, of course, uh, supporting our brothers and sisters during this very different Tubishvat 5784. Uh, Rabbi Kramer, I thank you. Happy Tubishvat to you. Thanks for enhancing our Tubishvat with your contributions this morning. And uh, we should celebrate a uh, wonderful peaceful to Bishvat next year and we should all have a nice Amen. and we should all have a nice etrog this coming Sukkot Bezrat Hashem Amen. Amen. Thank you Nachum for everything. A pleasure and thank you so much for joining us. Right, Benji Kramer here at JM in the AM on a Tubishvat morning